So I would have forgotten this if Tiff hadn't reminded me, and Tiff hadn't tweeted about this earlier in the week. So if you don't follow her, it's buckgal83 on, just plug all your social media stuff. Um, how many people in here are under the age of four? None of us now, right? Okay, so I see that hand. I don't believe it. All right, so that means all of us have existed in a world where CRC did not exist, because just this last week, CRC celebrated its fourth birthday, right? Which is really exciting, because um, there were lots of times during those four years where we would have been really, really excited to have a week with this much going on, right? Like some of you snicker, like, yes, there are lots there are lots of kids, and there are lots of people trying to keep kids from injuring other kids, and there are lots of, you know, there's all sorts of kind of, you know, hustle and bustle going on. Like, when I walked in, it was just like, wow, there are lots of, lots of things, all sorts of just things happening all over the place. And, and there were many times throughout these four years where it's like, all right, 12 of us, here we go. Like, let's sit here and let's pray that God would send us well, first it was like we prayed that God would send us more kids. And God has been very faithful to send us more kids. Some of them are sitting on the couch, and I hope they're actually paying attention to me. Hey, I see those guys. Every word. Okay, so I'm talking to you guys too, even though I don't make eye contact with you all the time. You're here. But, but we prayed that God would send us more kids because it was like, it's just a bunch of us. We want more kids around here. And God started being faithful to give us more kids. And then we said, whoa, we got a lot of kids. We need somebody to help us uh, manage these kids. Because these kids, man, they're awesome, but they have some energy, right? And so we started praying, God, send us more like grown-ups or people that are like able to help, you know, kind of wrangle kids. And we've seen God being answering those sorts of prayers as well, which has been super, super encouraging. But, but over the course of the four years, we have not always seen weeks like this. And we haven't always seen weeks. I mean, I, I'm still kind of blown away. If you've been coming to the new members class on Sunday nights, you are part of what really excites me right now. Because it's so cool that, that the six of us who aren't new people that are wanting to become a part of the church are off sitting in the small room. And there's like 12, 13 people sitting in a big circle out here talking about Jesus and, and, and kind of figuring out what their lives are going to look like moving forward as a part of CRC, which is really really exciting to me. But there weren't always weeks like that that we had. There were lots of weeks where we're just kind of sitting around saying, God, you put us here. You told us this is where you want us to be. What's happening? What's next? What are we, like, like we're sitting here, we're asking, is anything ever going to change? And he kind of had us at different points throughout our life as a church in these periods where we're just kind of sitting and waiting on him to move. Uh, and I kind of alluded to it last week as we're going to continue our Advent study for this month. Uh, last week we focused on God promising us something. God promising us salvation. God promising us identity. Right. This week we're going to focus more on after God makes that promise, it doesn't mean he's going to fulfill it right away. There's often going to be times where we're left waiting on God to fulfill his promise. And honestly, the best... The best example of, of, of waiting is, and this is just because this has just been my life for the last little bit, was like when you go to Disney World, you're going to wait a lot. 
right? And when you wait in lines at any theme park, a lot of them, maybe not Dollywood at this time of year, the lines get pretty short, but, but when you go to some theme park, some amusement park, whatever it may be, on a busy day, say you go in the middle of summer and it's just absolutely crazy, right? Every, a lot of us have experienced this, right? And, and you, you, you realize, I cannot do everything. I have to kind of prioritize which things I'm willing to wait for. Because I'm not going to be able to accomplish every single, I can't ride every ride today, or I can't go see every show today, or I can't, I can't go to every restaurant and try everything that they have for me to eat, right? Sometimes you're going to have to kind of prioritize what things you're willing to wait for because you value those things more. So the question is, what to you are things in your life that are worth waiting on? What are the things that, that you're like, I can sit and I can wait and I can, th when this gets here, it'll be worth the time spent kind of sitting here wondering when it was going to happen. Or what are the things that you're like, you know what, that's not worth waiting on. I'm moving on or I'm doing something different. I'm going to go a different direction. That's kind of the question that I want to be kind of going around in the back of your head today while we're looking through several different situations in the lives of the same people that we talked about last week, but, but after God made them promises, there were times that they had to wait. So if you want to go ahead and start turning towards Genesis chapter 4, um, I'm going to pick up not too long after where we left Adam and Eve last week. So last week, um, you had Adam and Eve at their lowest point, completely broken, completely embarrassed that they had offended God and that they had severed their relationship with him. And they're in this dark place where they're hiding from God. They don't want to be seen by him. And then God comes, seeks them out, and says, don't worry about it. I'm going to fix this. I'm going to make this right. He makes this promise to them, I'm going to do something here. Well, not too, I mean, I say not too long. In the next chapter, which is as best I can go, I don't know what the period of time passage may be, not long after that, um, Adam and Eve have two sons named Cain and Abel. And these two sons grow up, and one son is a guy who likes to go and work the land, and one guy who, who, who raises up lots of garden and stuff like this. And the other son, uh, Abel, um, it comes time for them both to give their sacrifice to God. Abel goes and kills one of his like choice lambs as a sacrifice to God. And Cain goes, and he just kind of gets some of the fruit and vegetables that he'd gotten together. And he takes those, and they both go and present their offering to God. And God accepts Abel's offering, and he rejects Cain's offering. He get, we could get into a lot of detail on why God would do this, but, but suffice it to say, Abel's heart was in a place where he was trying to sacrificially love and serve God. And, and Cain was just kind of giving some of what he had out of obligation. And we can talk more about that at some other point. But, but the point is that, that Cain becomes jealous of Abel and he kills him. Murders his own brother. And after this, to punish Cain, God sends Cain away. And so, and so here are Adam and Eve, kind of, they, they, they've, they've been promised salvation through a son that would come from them. And now both of their sons, in a sense, have been lost to them. And so there was this, there's this period of time where he's like, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what God's next steps are. But in Genesis chapter 4, I'm going to read verses 25 and 26. Uh, it says, Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. 
For she said, God has appointed for me to have another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth was also born a son, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. So, so what you have here is you have Eve, who we get a little reflection. We don't get a whole lot of detail in this story, but we kind of get this relieved feeling from Eve that, oh, God is still going to fulfill his promise. Look, he has, he has seen fit to give me another son through whom he might fulfill this promise. And, and what that meant is during that period of time, like, think of how you would be if God had promised you something. Like God said, I'm going to do something great through your children. And then one of your kids kills the other and God sends the other one away. You're like, well, now what? Right? This, this seems like to be going in the face of what God had promised. This doesn't seem to be the way that God would be fulfilling this. And then what we see is, he kind, of, he kind of gives Eve this period of time between when Cain, this, the situation with Cain and Abel took place and then when he gives her another son. And we kind of see this, this statement of relief come from her. Because it said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel for Cain. So he's, she's saying, I see now. God had another plan. God, God was still going to do this. God was still going to work this out. But there was this period where it got confusing. It got murky. She faced this setback, and it meant that, that the way God was going to answer the promise that he made to her was going to take a little bit longer. It wasn't going to be maybe the way that he, she had initially assumed he was working it out, because he said, through your offspring, you will be saved, right? That was the promise. And then she has a son. And then she has another son. She's like, okay, here we go. This is it. But those weren't the sons that God was going to be working through. And I think it's important for us as the church, when we're looking at the promises of God or we're looking at promises that we're making to people or promises that other people have made to us, uh, that just because we face some setback doesn't mean that God has failed us, right? There are going to be lots of times that we, we think, I am wor- I'm moving toward the right, I'm moving in the right direction. These are the things that God said he was going to do with me. All of this is good. All of this is positive. We hit a roadblock and it's really easy to just throw up our hands and say, that's it. I give up. It's not worth it. God has obviously lied to me. God obviously doesn't love me the way I thought he did. Or he would have continued to be perfectly faithful to me in the way that I thought he was going to be. And it's easy to get down. It's easy to get frustrated. It's easy to get 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 separate, kind of, kind of separate ourselves from the church because we're a little bit hurt because God isn't working. We've, we've faced this, this problem, this setback. And, and, and all we need to do is look to a lot of these people that we're going to be reading about today. And they all faced various setbacks. There were lots of times when God said, I'm still going to do this, but you got to wait a little bit longer and maybe it's not going to work out the way that you thought it was. So Eve faced kind of a temporary setback that she had to continue to wait a little bit longer, but she saw that God can still continue to be faithful. The next person that we talked about last week was Abraham. You'll remember God had just said, all right, I want you to leave everybody, I want you to leave everything, and I'm going to make a nation out of you. I'm going to make people out of you. Right now, you guys are not a na- you're, you're just you're just Abraham, but I'm going to make you my people. Through you, I'm going to bless all the nations of the world through your family. And part of that was that he promised that Abraham was going to have a son. Um, now, Abraham was not like very young 
right? Like he's, he's an older guy when he's hearing this promise. And his wife Sarah was also old. I think she was like 80 or 90 and he was like 90 or 100, something like that. Like these are, these are older people that are not really expecting to have children at this point. But God has said, I'm going to make a nation out of you. You are going to be a family. You are going to have offspring. You're going to have a son. He specifically says, I'm going to give you a son. But then he doesn't have a son right away. And it takes years. And he continues to wait. And there's this long period where Abraham's kind of like, I know you said this, but when's it going to happen? And along that time, his wife also got impatient. And she thought, well, since God obviously can't give you a son with me, I have a solution. I have a better way. I'm going to protect God from breaking his promise, is essentially how she felt. She said, in case God forgot that we're old and it's going to be really hard for me to have a baby, right? I want you to go and have a son with one of my servants. And Abraham's like, okay. Horrible idea, right? And so, and so he goes and he has the son. He says, and he's like, look, I have a son now. God has been faithful. He's going to, he's going to bless my family through this, this boy. And this is the way that he's going to fulfill his promise. Look, he didn't fail me. We figured out a way to make sure that we protected God from being wrong about what he was going to do. Go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 17. Because we're going to see how God kind of responds to this. Genesis chapter 17. And if you go ahead and flip over to verse 15. It says, And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, you, you shall call, not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. So what God said to Abraham was, you thought you could protect me. You thought you had a better solution for the way to fulfill this promise that I made to you. And yes, it was a long time before God came back to Abraham after he made this covenant with him. And he let him kind of sit there and wait. But in the end, God was going to fulfill that promise exactly as he had made it. And he said, even though you've kind of gone off, off the side here and you've taken this other, this other method, you're trying to, trying to work this thing out, I'm not going to, this isn't, this isn't, he is not the fulfillment of this promise. We don't need to figure out a solution to a problem that God seems to have put himself in, right? We don't need to say, here's the flaw in what God wants me to do. I'm going to figure out a way to protect God from embarrassing himself. Because we do that, right? 
Like, like it's really easy, especially, I mean, even just when talking about God or talking about sin or talking about the wrath of God with somebody who is an unbeliever, it's so much easier for us to say, well, maybe we just talk about this aspect of who God is and we don't talk about this kind of murky stuff. We kind of protect God from those aspects of who he is to people that don't really know him. Right? We, try to, we try to keep God from being embarrassed by who he is or by the things that he says he's going to do or by the promises that he's made. And what God says to Abraham here is, you've, you've got yourself in this situation, but that's not the way I'm going to do this. Like, like, like you've already got this son. Sure, I'm going to work with him. I'm going to make a nation out of him too. But he's not the ultimate fulfillment of my promise. I'm still going to fulfill the promise that I made exactly as I made it to you. You are going to have a son. Your wife, Sarah, is going to give you that son. And, and as crazy as that sounds, as long as they've had to wait, right? Because he's 100. She is 90. They have been waiting on God to fulfill this promise for a long time. So long that they ended up trying to, again, figure out a way to help God kind of, you know, hurry this thing along. But what God says is, I don't need your help. I don't need you to protect me from myself. I have a plan. I'm going to work it out. And he just says, it just took a little bit longer than you were expecting. It took a period of waiting. One more story, because last week we talked about how God promised David that he was going to be a king whose throne would last forever. Well, prior to that, David... um, served under the king who was before him, King Saul. And he had already been anointed to become the king over Israel while Saul was still king. God had already said, I'm going to move on from Saul and I'm going to move on to David. But during that time, Saul got really jealous of David. There were lots of people that, that, that were trying to protect David. David was trying to keep away from Saul. He was a little bit afraid of what Saul might do to him because Saul was jealous of David because God loved David. And God was going to bless David. And God was going to make David king. And so if you go ahead, go ahead and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 24. I'm, I'm, I thought about setting this story up, but this story is just too awesome to j- not just read it to you. 1 Samuel chapter 24. I will set it up this far. Uh, so David has been running from Saul. Trying to stay alive. Uh, I'm going to read verses 1 through 15 of 1 Samuel 24. Uh, It says, When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goat's rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds by the way where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. And the men of David said to him, Here is the day of which the Lord has said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hands, and you shall do to him as shall seem good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterward, David's heart struck him because he had cut off the corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. Afterward, David arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, 
My Lord the King. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed his face to the earth and paid homage. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Behold, David seeks your harm. Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you. But my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancient says, Out of the wicked comes wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? And After whom do you pursue? After a dead dog, after a flea. May the Lord therefore judge and give sentence between me and you, and see to it, and plead my case, and deliver me from your hand. I think that's a fantastic story, mainly because David goes kind of all ninja on it. Uh, and he's like, he, he's in this cave, Saul comes in, and he's in a state where he is not really able to protect himself. We'll just leave it at that. He is in an, he is in an exposed state of being, right? So he is not in a place where he's ready to fight. And, and David's guys see him there, and they're like, David, this is your chance. God said he's going to make you the king. Right now, you can go and you can take it. You can be king right now. Go kill him. If, if you kill him, his guys are going to scatter. You'll, we'll take over. This is it. This is our opportunity. This is your chance. This is the way that God is fulfilling his promise to you, by giving Saul over to you. And I think it's, I think it's amazing that David feels guilty even after just cutting off the corner of his robe because he's like, I shouldn't have even done that. Like, that was too forward of me. This is not what God would want me to do. God will give me, God will fulfill this promise, though he's not going to fulfill it for me right now. This is not the time. This is not the moment. I can't just go take this for myself. So just because something has been promised does not mean that it is ours to take at any given moment. Just because it seems like, here's an easy way. Maybe it's, maybe it's God says, I mean, think back to Abraham. God says, I'm going to make a nation out of you. Okay, well then I'm going to go have a kid. I'm not gonna, it's not going to work with my wife, so I'm going to go find somebody else to help God fulfill this promise. I'm going to go make this happen now when God says, no, I'm going to do this in my time. You have to be patient. You have to wait. There is this period that I'm, I'm leaving you in while I prepare, I guess you could say, to fulfill this promise that I made to you. And I think it's fantastic that David comes out and he says to Saul, look, I could have killed you, but I didn't want to. And I want God to judge your heart against mine because you're out to kill me. Proof, I'm not really here to kill you. I could have just killed you, but I did not. But David is far more interested in knowing that his heart and God's heart are in the same place. That he's willing to wait. He's willing to set aside the good things that God has for him now so that he can have them when God wants him to have them later. And that's oftentimes the reason that God has us wait on things. I mean, that's kind of the question. Why does God make us wait? Because, because if God can fix sin right away, if God has a solution, 
Why wasn't Jesus just born to Adam and Eve right after Adam and Eve sinned? When he made that promise, why does it have to be, I'm going to wait thousands of years to send my son who's going to save you? When he says to Abraham, I'm going to make a nation out of you, but I'm also going to wait till you're 100 to give you the son. Why? Why does he make us wait for those things? Why does he promise to David, David, I'm going to make you the king and not let him go become the king right then? Why is he having to wait for that? I think there's a couple of reasons. And I'm going to read a, verse, a couple of verses from Romans chapter 8. You are welcome to turn there with me if you would like. Um, and I just think these verses kind of show us a little bit of why God puts us in these situations. Why sometimes it takes longer to see these promises fulfilled that God makes than maybe we would have considered. So go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 8, um, verse 18. And I'm going to read through verse 25. <clears throat> it says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope is seen. Hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So here's the, here's the first important thing that I think Paul tries to communicate in these verses. First thing is that we don't just wait because we happen to wait because things don't work out. We wait because God makes us wait. It says God subjected them to these things. God puts us in this situation. It's not that God said, Abraham, I'm going to give you a son. And then he kind of waited like, I hope this works out. No, he said, I'm going to give you a son and I intentionally am going to make it take X amount of time. He knew this because Romans chapter 8 says he subjected us to these things. He is in control over these things. When we find ourselves in periods where we are waiting, we are waiting because God gave us that period of waiting. I don't want us to think that it's just kind of happenstance and we're just going to kind of see, maybe this is going to work out. I hope this happens. But we know that we're in the situation that we're in because God put us in the situation that we are in. So why do we wait? Because it shows our, it kind of shows us or teaches us one way or the other. It shows how much confidence we have that God will be faithful to the promises that he's made to us. I say shows or teaches because it'll, show, it'll reveal to us kind of where our hearts are. But if we realize that we're super impatient or if we realize that we are super ready to go ahead and just make this thing happen, God said this was going to happen. I don't want to wait anymore. We're going to take matters into our own hands, kind of like Abraham and Sarah did. 
then these periods of waiting are actually being used to teach us just to kind of slow down and trust that God is going to act. It also keeps us from over-planning our lives or trying to tell God how he should solve this problem, right? Because we do this, right? It's so easy to say, I see this thing that God wants us. Like, I'm just thinking, it could be, oh, God wants us to have, God, God says he wants us to be downtown and we should just go buy this one building. Because we looked at a couple of different buildings before we ended up here as a church. I mean, granted, we really couldn't have afforded them because we were super small and didn't have a whole lot of money. But it's one of those, oh, obviously God wants us downtown. Let's force the issue and make sure we get that building. And that's not what God wants. And then we find that we're in debt for all these years and all this stuff that we can't really control. Just to try to say, well, God says he wants us to be downtown. Let's just go. Instead, it was, why don't you take six months? And why don't you go meet at the BCM over by ETSU? And why don't you just kind of pray and wait, and I will put you in the perfect place for you to be. And I don't know that any of us would disagree that this is the perfect place that God has put us. Like the perfect place for us to be as a church. So it keeps us from over-planning. Like it's, it, would be, it would have been so easy to say, well, we need this kind of building and we need this kind of space because we're going to do these kinds of ministries. And maybe God says, I just want you to have a building across the street from a bunch of neighborhoods. And I want you to have a kitchen and I want you to be able to let people come in and eat some food and you talk to them about Jesus. Like, the exact way that this works is not really what I think any of us knew it would be when we were planting. We didn't know exactly what God had for us, but he said, just be patient. I'm going to show you over time what I want you to look like as a church. And ultimately, waiting shows us how much we value God and the good things he wants for us. Because there are lots of things that are good. There are lots of things that he says are good for you to have or I want for you. But sometimes he says you have to wait on those things. Sometimes he says you don't get to just take that for yourself now. He wants you to be married and in a relationship before you are together with another person. He doesn't want you to just take that for yourself. Now, he wants you to wait. He says, I, this is a good thing that I have set aside for you, but I want you to wait for it till I give it to you at the right time. Maybe it's, I want you to have a family. I want you to have children. This was a situation that, and I, I did double check with them before I said, before I said this. This is the situation that the Varnish were This was a situation that we were in before God was faithful to give us kids. The Varneys were waiting about a year, praying, God, I think this is something you want for us. God, we want this thing. When do we get to have children? And then after a year, God is faithful. He says, here, I'm going to give you not only a kid, I'm going to give you two. How's that? For us, we waited two years before God was faithful. I mean, the, the fact, we, we, named, we named Eliana because Eliana means God has answered. Like it was, a, it was a long period of us praying and asking, God, I think you want, us, you want this for us. Why are we still waiting? And over that time, he taught me several things, not the least of which was that I didn't need to keep a lot of these things that I was struggling with or pushing through to myself, and I needed to like 
lay those cares also on the, the shoulders of the church and let the church pray with me for these things and pray for me in these things and that I was keeping too much of this kind of tied up inside of myself. Um, so, so he puts us in these periods of waiting to teach us, area, show, reveal to us areas in which we still have growing to do. Areas that we have not yet fully matured. Areas that we still are weak. Because in all these periods of, in all these periods of, of waiting, in all of these situations, a lot of these people are in pretty low states. Right? Abraham goes and has a kid with some other woman because, because his wife doesn't feel like she's going to be able to give him a ch- the child that God has promised. So he goes and has a relationship with somebody else. I mean, Eve has lost her two sons. She's at a low point. David has been promised that he's going to be made king, and now he's hiding in a cave because the king is trying to hunt him down to kill him. It's during these periods of waiting that sometimes we may find ourselves being at the lowest. Maybe it's that you're waiting for God to provide some sort of some sort of answer to a prayer that you've had for a long time. Maybe you're waiting on maybe you're waiting on a spouse. Maybe you're waiting on a job. Maybe you're waiting on children. Maybe you're waiting on lunch. I don't know. But you're waiting on something. There's something that God has promised you that you're like, I know this is coming. But when? Why am I in this situation? And that's why I go back in Romans 18. Like, he says, all of creation has been groaning together. Like, we all have this sense that things aren't right. We all have this, this feeling inside, this, just this kind of gross, yucky feeling that things are broken. I don't know that, that we have to look very far around ourselves in our lives to realize that things are not perfect here. There are lots of things that we face wherever it is that you go when you leave here, wherever it is that you find yourself throughout the week. There are lots of places that we go and it's like, nope, not perfect here either. Yep, people are sinning here too. Yep, relationships are broken here. Yes, things are bad here too. And he's saying, I subjected, God is saying, I subjected you to this so that you would learn to hope in me. Because I made this promise that I'm going to do something. I, he, he's basically saying, I gave, I gave the Varneys, I gave the Clements, I gave these people this desire. I put this, this desire in their heart and then I made them wait. Whatever it is that you're passionate about that God has given you this desire for, this thing, and you're like, I really do think God wants this for me, but yet you're waiting. He gave you that passion, and he's making you wait on the fulfillment of it. Like, like one, of, one of my favorite like, storytelling devices, like, I, I love things that don't give away everything too fast. Like, that's why I like, I'm trying to think of like really slowly developing plots. Like anything that's a trilogy, honestly. Like think through some of your favorite trilogies. I'm not going to that one. Go Lord of the Rings. That one, yeah. Go Lord of the Rings instead. Like think about that. You've got three, three plus hour movies that it really takes before you get to the big payoff at the end. Right? And how do you feel? I'm, I, I'm not getting into all the plot details because we don't have that kind of time. But think through your favorite movie. Think through your favorite like extended 
Some of the worst movies, I'll go this way, some of the worst movies you see are the ones where they give you the whole plot in the trailer, right? Like you feel like, no, I feel like I've seen that whole movie now. It's not going to mean anything to me if I go see this in the theater now. It's not worth the time because I basically know what's going to happen. But these movies where the storytelling is kind of like a slow burn, like it slowly comes through and then you get to the end and it kind of builds and builds and builds and builds. When you get to that, either the victorious moment or that climactic point, it's so much more impactful on you once you see, oh, this is what's been happening all along, or this is how everything has been working, or this is why the situation was what it was, and you kind of get this, this overwhelming sense of, I don't know, catharsis, like, ah, oh, I get it. And I think that's why God has kind of put us in this situation a lot of times. Like he says, I'm, I want you to want this. I want you to desire this. I'm giving you this desire. I'm putting it in your heart. But you've got to wait. Because, because the more it draws out, the longer you wait, the more you're sitting there saying, God, you're good. I'm hoping that you're going to do this. I'm hoping that you're going to do this. I'm hoping that you're going to do this. I, I know if we had said, oh, we want to have kids. Let's have kids. Now's the right time for us to have kids. We've been married long enough. We're in an okay place. Let's have kids. And then, God, and then we had kids right then. I don't think we would have nearly appreciated that it is God who gives you kids. Because we'd have been like, well, we decided when it was time, and there you go. We got to pick when we had a kid. But I think in most of our situations, God does a good job of humbling us and reminding us, I'm in control. I say when this happens. I want you to appreciate the things that I give when I give them. Because we wouldn't have said, God has answered our prayer. We probably wouldn't have named her the thing that we named her. We wouldn't have given her a testimony in her name had it just been, we decided this was what we wanted, and well, we went ahead and had a kid. That's a completely different story that we, don't get, that we, would, that we would not be telling if God had not said, I want you to want this, but I also want you to wait, because I'm going to refine you during this period of waiting. So whatever it is that you're waiting on, Whatever it is that, that God has made you passionate about, whatever it is that, what, like, like, whatever in your life is so valuable to you, you are willing to wait for long periods of time. And I hope that is something, a desire that God has put in your life, not just something short-term or something temporary or something physical and of the world. I hope that it is a desire that God is putting in your heart, a thing that you know. I hope that you're not growing impatient or thinking, I need to come up with a better way to solve this problem. I need to get what God's promised me now so that I have some, some extra time to appreciate it. That's what it is. Yeah. I hope that that's not what your desire is. I hope that our desires as the church would be to say, God has promised us these things and I'm growing more and more in love with him as I wait for this payoff that comes in the end. I hope that the things that are in your heart, the things that you're desiring, are not discouraging you because you don't see change, are not making you feel more down because God hasn't answered that prayer yet or God hasn't fulfilled that promise quite yet. But instead, you're growing more and more confident because as you see, and as we're going to talk about next week, God fulfills these promises. Everything that he says he's going to do, he has done. And so we're going to continue to talk about this this time of year because, because the ultimate promise that he made was Jesus. The ultimate promise that he made was salvation. And this is the time of year where we really hope to get excited about the idea that God fulfilled that when he sent his son. And I want us as the church to be excited about this time and, and really reflective of what it 
what impact it has that God is moving in the way that he does around us. So let's pray.